Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Morning, everyone. Thanks, Bill. And uh, glad to be with you again, continuing our series, talking about the outward journey. And if you've been with us all year, you'll know that we did the three journeys, the inward journey, the upward journey, and uh, this outward journey. And then we're doing that. Uh, focus this last part of the year, and uh, I'm excited to teach this. I get to teach a missions class up at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. I do that um, three semesters out of the year, so year-round, and it's really fun. And uh, I was telling in the first service that I have about a whole semester's worth, so I don't know, like 40, 45 hours of teaching time to put into a 30-minute sermon. So here we go. You ready? It's going to be good. All right, talk really fast, right? Yeah. So, uh, so New Day is the type of church that partners in global mission. We send a mission team. We got people going to Japan next week. We have uh, people who are on the other side of Michigan uh, doing ministry this morning, as we heard. We have people who are long-term career missionaries. We, have, uh, pray, we pray for our missionaries. We give to our missionaries. And uh, this is all part of the outward journey. Uh, what I want to talk about today is uh, why we have this global focus. Why global missions? Why world missions? And uh, the church from its very, very first days has always been outward focused. It's part of the Christian life, the core part of the Christian life to be outward focused. And you might wonder, well, how far out does it go? Should we just tell our neighbors, just those we work with? How far out does this circle go of people that I should talk to about Jesus? The reality is that as Christians, we're called to go to the ends of the earth, all the way, right? Wherever we happen to be is where we should talk about Jesus, whoever we meet. So as a church, we play a part in that sharing of the gospel around the world. So this morning, I want to talk about three different areas with you. The first is the biblical basis for global missions and the theological basis. Then we'll talk about the need for global missions that currently exists in the world today. And then very quickly at the end, our place in global missions. So when I think about the biblical and theological basis for mission, um, I have, in first service, I have so many pages of notes, and these are condensed from other notes that I have. For, there's just so much that's contained in Scripture about the biblical basis for mission. Now you might be familiar, if you're familiar with the church, you might be familiar with what we call the Great Commission passage of scripture, which is where Jesus tells his disciples, right as he's at the very end of his earthly ministry, go into all of the world, teaching and baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that was the charge, that was the call to action given to those initial followers of Jesus. And that verse is often used to talk about global missions, and rightly so. It's an important verse in scripture. But it's certainly not the only verse in scripture that talks about global mission and God's desire that all people should come to know him. So I want to share a little bit more with you about what the Bible has to say about mission. And I have a couple of um, quotes from, these are biblical scholars and mission scholars, and they spend their life kind of think through all of this, and um, a couple of initial thoughts to kind of get us thinking in this area. And uh, this is from uh, one, one book that I read on this from the very opening words of the Bible. Important themes in mission appear that are expanded throughout the Old Testament and they lay the foundation for what is found 
explicitly about mission in the New Testament. Um, please don't just think that mission is a New Testament idea. Mission and going out in mission is certainly found in the New Testament, but it's not only found there. There's so much in the Old Testament about what God wants to do in reaching the nations. Uh, another scholar has written, the Bible is from start to finish a missionary book, for it is the story of God himself reaching into human history to reconcile a fallen and rebellious humanity to himself and to reestablish his reign over all creation. In this sense, God is a missionary God, a God who sends his emissaries, messengers, and ultimately his son as agents in this story of salvation. And this quote continues, this salvation will ultimately reach out to include uh, persons of every people, nation, tribe, and tongue. It is God's initiative, and it is God who receives all glory. So, God has always had a desire to reach the nations. Actually, even before God created the first humans, Adam and Eve, God's presence was on the earth. Within the first few verses of Genesis, we see that the Spirit of God was in some way hovering over the waters of the deep. That God was already present in some way. And when God creates Adam and Eve, they weren't destined to remain in the garden. Even before the fall, they were destined for more than just gardening. They were given what's called the cultural mandate. To go into the whole earth, to be fruitful, to multiply, to subdue the earth. And what's hidden behind that or implicit behind that is the sense that they would go out and that they would create culture. They would create uh, all these cultural forms. And very quickly in Genesis, in the opening chapters, those chapters right after the fall, you see that uh, humanity starts to uh, begin larger family groups. They start to uh, fund and create cities. They start to uh, become proficient with tools and with musical instruments. The creation of culture has begun even in spite of the fall of humanity and the entrance of sin into the world. And it begins this pattern of humanity spreading out into the world. And we see that today, right? There are people everywhere. So that's all part of God's intention for humanity. But when you read Genesis uh, 1 through 11, the overall arc of that story is negative. If you just had that as your Bible, it would be a very negative story. Because humanity and God are seem to be on opposing sides. They just can't seem to figure it out. Uh, God has the, uh, has the great flood that comes in and uh, wipes out nearly all of humanity in response to their great wickedness. God then promises no one his descendants. He won't do that again. And so at the end of Genesis chapter 11, we have all of these nations that have started to be formed, and we have the Tower of Babel where God confuses the language of humanity. So there's actually chaos on the earth, and the relationship between God and humanity is really one where they are at odds with each other rather than being reconciled to each other. So there's all sorts of chaos, and if you're reading closely in the Bible at that point and you didn't know what was coming, you would be just completely confused as to where things were going. And God does a very particular thing. He says, okay, I have this great plan of redemption. I'm going to start with one person. 
So that might seem like an odd plan, but that's what God decides to do. He starts with one. And this person is Abraham. And I, find, I often find a way to work this passage into nearly every sermon I preach because I love it so much. So Genesis chapter 12. God shows up to this guy Abraham, who we really don't know much about, and he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And this is the most important part for us today. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples. So, this is an incredible statement. In fact, it's so important that some biblical scholars say this is like the Great Commission in the Old Testament. Paul in Galatians 3.8 says this is the gospel announced in advance. This is like a little teaser or trailer of what the gospel is going to look like. The end goal of the gospel is that all families and all peoples on earth are blessed. And somehow this guy, Abraham, is going to be part of what that looks like. And if you're reading through Scripture and you don't know what's coming after this, you don't know how does, how does Abraham factor into this. We, we don't really know at that point. But from Abraham we see the formation of a family line. He has children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel over time. And Israel, under Moses' leadership, becomes a nation when they come out from under slavery in Egypt. And they go and they worship God and they have a law that is given to them and they form as a nation. And what was the reason for that? It was not simply so that Israel would have this sweet relationship with God and that they could go around and say, we're number one. That was not the goal. The goal was that Israel was to be a model, a light to the other nations. The imagery here is that all the nations are in darkness and there's one nation that's a light in the darkness. And if you see light in the darkness, you might well be attracted to go towards that light in the darkness. That was the function of Israel. And built into so much of the Old Testament is this imagery of uh, Israel being a place where the nations come to gather to worship God. There's this incredible provision built into the law of Moses that if you are a foreigner coming into Israel, you are to be treated well. You are to be included in as if you were an Israelite. That is unbelievable at the time. Such grace and favor that people could come into the people of God. There's a great high point in the Old Testament where the, the, uh, the temple is being dedicated by King Solomon. People have waited and waited and waited. This is the high point of Israel's monarchy in the Old Testament. The temple has just been built. It's this incredible structure. They're dedicating it. They're sacrificing animals, all these animals, huge celebration and sacrifice. And King Solomon gets up to pray. And what's one of the things that he prays at this really high point of Israel's history? He says, if a foreigner happens to come to this house, and prays to you, God, please answer his prayer. What? Unbelievable. So the imagery there is that Israel would be so attractive in how it lived its life before God that people would be drawn to Israel. Not just the idea, but they'd they'd physically go. so there's just so much more. The prophets talk about God's glory extending to the nations. The, the, uh, the book of Psalms, the Old Testament worship book, they talk about the nations. There's over 175 references to the nations 
as it relates to God being in, over all nations. Israel is to be a light. The problem was Israel was not very good at being a light to the nations. So we have to move forward to the New Testament, to the Gospels, and to the arrival of one individual who will be faithful to reaching the nations. Israel wasn't able to do it, but Jesus is able to do it. And in the Gospels, we read of Jesus' life story, his ministry on earth. But the Gospels, as we see from this first quote, they aren't simply a systematic theology of how to do mission. But the New Testament we see is theology in motion, right? right? As the church is out engaging in mission, it's figuring out more and more about who God is, theology in motion. The second quote, the church is both the center and the agent for the kingdom of God in the world. And the story of the church, as portrayed in Acts, is the story of God's mission. One big theme for this outward journey, this section of the year, is that the church is God's primary messenger, vehicle, agent in the world to bring all things to renewal. We see that very clearly in the New Testament. The Great Commission is probably the most famous passage, but there, were, there are others. Um, Acts 1.8 is another one where Christ is sharing with his disciples that they are to go to the ends of the, of the world. And we see in Paul's uh, letters and his missionary journeys, so much of the New Testament is oriented around this idea of mission, of going to places where God is not known. Some other themes that emerge from the New Testament, number one, God's mercy extends to all people. His mercy extends to all people. If you're ever wondering, when you meet somebody or you're hearing about a certain individual or hearing about a whole group of people or a whole nation of people, is God's mercy for that person? For that people group? The answer is yes. God's mercy is for all people. Second, mission involves a message, communicating a message. And that message is all about Jesus. That Jesus is empowered by God, that he is the anointed son of God, and we focus a message very, very clearly on the salvation through Christ and grace alone. Missions Number three, face is a supernatural opponent, supernatural dimension. Mission and spiritual warfare are inextricably linked. They are tied together in the New Testament. Um, Jesus is victor over sin and death and hell. He has won the victory on the cross, but that victory is still being outworked. And as it's being outworked, there's a battle at, at play, and our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We read that in Paul's letters. God is sovereignly in charge of mission. It's his idea. It's his plan. It's his mission. We get to participate in it as Christ's ambassadors. Um, there's, there's one pattern that I want to share with you uh, at this point. So I've just talked about um, God chose one person. I talked about how God chose one person to fulfill his mission in the Old Testament and one person in the New Testament. So God chooses one person in the Old Testament. That's Abraham. And from Abraham, we see that there is a family that is created. From Abraham, we see that there is a people that is created. So Abraham has his descendants, his sons, his daughters, and then we see that it becomes ultimately a people in the 12 tribes. And the Hebrews 
as they're presented in Genesis. And then a nation is formed, as I mentioned, after the Exodus event. But also we see this in the New Testament, where God starts with one individual. He starts with Christ, starts with Jesus, and then he creates a family that also then becomes a people and ultimately becomes a nation. And I don't know if you often think about yourself as a nation, but that's both Old Testament and New Testament language to talk about what the church is. In some way, in some form, it's a nation. And that's uh, 1 Peter language right there. If you're curious to look that up, 1 Peter 2. So God's pattern is to start with one and build and build and build, ultimately to the point where a nation is formed. Very, very biblical language. Okay, one other point that I want to make at this stage. There's also a really strong theological reason. That's the whole biblical story. There's a very strong theological reason as to why global mission. God is a a missionary God, as we saw. God uh, sent Jesus, his son, into the world. Uh, Jesus returned to the Father, and then the Father and the Son together sent the Holy Spirit. And where is the Holy Spirit? Here, right? Holy Spirit's still on mission. So God is in himself, in the Trinitarian relationship within himself, is a missionary God. And if we are to be like him, we are also ones who are sent in mission. So we are very focused on mission at New Day, and it's because of these biblical and theological foundations. But there's also a, uh, a need in the world today for missions, and I want to talk about that a little bit as well, as a need to go based on what we see around us in the world today. So I'm just going to skip f- forward here a little bit. I want you to think, I think I shared this a couple of years ago when I did this similar sermon, but if you can think about what's a typical Christian look like in the world today? If you were to take all Christians in the world and just, uh, just, okay, you, what would that person look like? Well, most likely it would look like this. Um, Most Christians in the world today um, do not look like us. Uh, they're not American. Um, in fact, most Christians today are young, living in poverty, female, from Africa or Latin America. Um, because the church has grown just amazingly, just in huge numbers in the last 100, 150 years. So I want to share some things with you about what's happening in the world And I'm going to start with um, just some things that have been happening both in the world and in the church, but then ultimately working towards the need that exists for missions today. Do you remember 1980? How many of us remember 1980? Yeah, some of us. Yeah, I don't really remember. I was wrong, but I don't remember it. But 1980 was a really important year for these two reasons. And Cameron has a third reason. He got saved. Okay. So... 1980, for the first time in a long, 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 long time, world Christianity was more non-white than white, which is still the case today. That's when the threshold was crossed. So think back 
to the early church, the earliest church was also non-white. So it's not the first time ever. First time in a long time, though. Second, Pentecostals, Pentecostal Christians became the largest Protestant group. They've been growing and growing and growing. In 1980, the tipping point, and now they're the largest, still the largest. And um, not the largest Christian group, if you include Roman Catholicism, which a lot of missions data and a lot of missions scholarship does. Okay. So those of you that like numbers, this sermon has numbers. Yay! (laughs) All right. So, I want to share with you some data. This is from uh, Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, it's Center for uh, Database for World Christianity. And um, we have ni- the year 1900 at the top, the current year, 2017, and uh, 2050. So, I want to use this to talk about 150 years of incredible change that's happening in the world. So, in 1900, there was 1.6 billion people in the world. Today, 7.5 billion. By 2050, they estimate 9.7 billion people. So by 2050, there will be a lot more people in the world with that rate of growth. One of the big challenges for missions in the 21st century is figuring out how to do missions in cities, how to do urban missions. Uh, Tim Keller is a pastor in uh, New York City in Manhattan, and he founded a Presbyterian church in Manhattan, which, when you just say that sentence, sounds like it would be tough to start a Presbyterian church in Manhattan, but he did it, and it's thriving, multi-site. His big vision, he just announced his retirement as the pastor, because he wants to switch the last part of his career to focusing on this, global missions and uh, pastoral training for urban ministry. It's the biggest need. We often think about global missions as going to the absolute edge of nowhere, drive to the end of the road and keep going, find a village somewhere. And yes, that's important. But if you're thinking about just sheer numbers of people, it's all about urban city ministry. And why is that? Because just look at the change in the number of people who live in cities as a percentage. 1900, 14.4%. Like this year, 55%. It'll become 66% of two-thirds of everybody on the planet will live in a city by 2050. Another way to think about this. In 1900, there were only 20 cities on the planet that had a million people or more. 20. So think about it. Probably like, what, London, New York, Paris, right? The big cities. But this year, 522. It's entirely possible to show up in a country, go to a city of over a million people, you show up and you're like, I have never heard of this place. That's happened to me. 2050, 880 cities, they estimate, will have over a million people. A city of a million people is nothing these days when you think of some of the largest cities in the world. Um, Our group that's going to Japan, the Tokyo, Yokohama metropolitan area, over 30 million people. Just right there. Christians, as a percentage of the total world population, in 1900, 34.5%. Today, 33%. 2050, 35.4%. No real change in terms of a percentage. Roughly a third of the people on the planet are Christian. It's been that way for a long time, and they estimate it's going to continue that way. However, the church has been growing. The church has been growing, and especially 
the Pentecostal and charismatic elements of the church. 1900, they were just under one million worldwide. Today, 669 million Pentecostals and Charismatics, and that will grow to 1.1 billion by 2050. The uh, Pentecostal and Charismatic Church movement is growing way faster than any other religious growth in the world. Not just Christian. It's the fastest growing Christian, or part of the Christian church. It's growing faster than any other religion. And it's not even close. Not even close. Probably growing, I'm going to estimate, twice as fast as the next fastest religion. So, mission scholarship, there's lots of reasons for this, but I just want to give you the high-level overview today. So, the church has been growing, um, and it's a huge, just amazing testimony to global missions that we see this type of growth. Where is the church growing? Because we don't feel this type of growth here. I just want to put these numbers up here. 1900, this year, and 2050 estimate. In Africa, 8.7 million Christians in 1900, 1.2 billion in 2050. Billion. The African church is going to effectively double in the next 20 to 25 to 30 years. Um, some mission scholars basically say, look, the 21st century is about the African church. If you want to be a Christian, find out what's going on, go to Africa, and especially sub-Saharan Africa. But look at some of these other areas that have grown. Asia, in 150 years, from 21 million to 588. Latin America, from 60 million to 705 million. The church has been growing like crazy. Every day, people coming to faith in huge numbers. The most important change in the Christian faith during the last century has been the demographic shift away from traditional centers in Europe and North America. So Europe and North America for hundreds of years was the center of world Christianity, and we're no longer the center of world Christianity, which is fantastic news for the global church. Because in some way, missionaries did their job and God blessed their work. No longer can Christianity be considered Western. This is great news. Because Christianity is not Western. It's global. It's for everyone. So why is the church growing? And these are some thoughts by mission scholars. In the majority world church, the global south, Asia, Latin America, Africa, there is a zeal for the Lord, a passion for missions, expectancy and faith. However, there's a great need that remains number of unreached people in the world. In 1900, about 880 million. Today, 2.1 billion. In 2050, 2.7 billion. Even though the church has been growing really fast, it's barely keeping up with the overall growth in world population. And you saw early that, you know, growth, just the growth of the global population is going to continue to grow so fast. And the church, even though it's growing, is going to barely keep pace as it continues. Now the charismatic Pentecostal churches are far outpacing world population growth, but there are other parts of the church globally that are losing ground.
So each of these, these are obviously big numbers. But I want you to think about these are individual people and lives and stories too. Yeah. Where you have people who are in parts of the world that have very little chance or opportunity to hear about Jesus. People who, if they heard, would be very receptive. People who are going to bed at night wondering, is, where is hope in my life? I'm oppressed. I'm enslaved, perhaps. There's got to be hope. There's got to be freedom. There's got to be deliverance. People whose kids or spouses are sick and there's no doctor and they pray for healing. Who's going to heal? People who cry out for, to know more about God and Jesus will show up in a dream or a vision and say, I am the door. I am just the source of living water you're looking for. Amazing. So what's our place? I just put four thoughts up here. Continuing to learn from Scripture about God's heart for missions. Learning about different parts of the world. Mission organizations. There's so much online. You can just go find it. It's so easy. Come talk to me if you want more. Consider going. We have a group going to Japan. Come join us. We do trips regularly. Consider simply coming on a trip and just seeing for yourself firsthand what God is doing. <clears throat> giving. I know we're talking a lot about giving at the moment, but giving to global missions through New Day or some other organization is hugely important. Missionaries plan and mission organizations plan on a certain income so that they can achieve their goals. So consider giving. We have missionaries who serve out of this church long-term who would value your financial support and then also praying. Praying for the global church, praying for missionaries that you know makes a huge difference. Makes a huge difference. I want to close with a final thought, which is taken from uh, N.T. Wright, one of the leading biblical scholars today. And he said that for many of us, the largest story of our lives is our lives. The biggest vision we have for the world is us. Like, what am I going to do? What's the sum total of all that I can be? And this is, uh, unfortunately, just an easy trap to fall into. And he said, instead, the big story of Scripture is that God is in the process of creation and recreation. And we get to be part of that. We get to be part of what God is doing in the world. So it flips the script completely. Story is not about how can God help me. It's how do I participate in what God is doing in the world. And that's actually the story. And when we're tempted to think the story is just about us individually, we've missed the point of the story. So yes, Jesus died for each one of us individually. We each put our personal faith and trust in Christ. That is essential. But it's not where the story ends. That's actually the starting point of the story so that you can turn around and participate in what God is doing in the world. So please don't miss the point of the story and consider what God is doing in global missions and how you can be part of it.